Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. .thegrovewr.org And now, here's a word from the Lord. How to make the best of a bad situation. Matthew 26, 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death tarry ye here and watch with me and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying oh my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as thou wilt and he cometh unto the cup he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto peter what could ye not watch with me one hour watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Amen. Amen. We continue again this sermon series, determine the teaching series, how to make the best of a bad situation. I want to talk today from the th- with this thought in our minds, nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was in a bad situation. The Montgomery bus boycott was in, was in effort to desegregate the city's buses after Rosa Parks' arrest. Her refusal to give up her seat sparked a movement, but it also sparked rage. Buses were shot at. Black employees were threatened to be fired if they continued to not ride the buses. A teenage girl was beaten by four white men as she debarked, debarked from a bus. A pregnant woman was shot in the leg. Drivers were complaining about uncooperative passengers. Passengers were complaining about rude drivers. Drivers' cars were breaking down. Some of the drivers were trying to charge passengers. It it was a bad situation. Dr. King received death threats. His enemies tried to bomb his home. All of the boycott-related drama and violence really got to Dr. King. This one particular night, Here's an excerpt of what he said about this one particular night when he seemed to have received one threat too many. Here's what he said. I was ready to give up with my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, where my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud the words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory 
I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. I was ready to face anything. This is from his book, Stride Toward Freedom, describing, again, a time of prayer during the Montgomery bus boycott after receiving another death threat. Dr. King's testimony bears witness to a powerful truth we all need to embrace. Prayer affords the worshiper a space to courageously surrender their will to the fathers, even if his will may cost the worshiper everything. Amen. Prayer affords the worshiper a space to courageously surrender their will to the fathers, even if his will may cost the worshiper everything. Jesus demonstrated prayer whereby he emerged courageously surrendering his will to the will of the heavenly father in the garden of Gethsemane. The garden of, uh, garden of Gethsemane was a short distance from Jerusalem, may have actually been surrounded by walls. It was a place situated on the slope of the Mount of Olives. It's a place where Jesus and his disciples frequented. Jesus was no stranger to the garden of Gethsemane here in Matthew 26. It was a proper place for refreshment in a hot climate and retirement from the noise of the adjacent city. Gethsemane was fertile. There was fruit born there. It, there were olive trees there in the garden of Gethsemane. It was a fertile place. It was a place away from the hustle and bustle. A place a lot of us could use. A place that's away from the fast-paced lives many of us are enduring. The Garden of Gethsemane. His sorrow in heavy spirit attests to the bad situation. Luke records that in this same situation, Jesus was so stressed out, he sweat drops of blood. Why, why so much sorrow? Why so much heaviness? Jesus made reference to a cup, a cup, not, not a literal cup, but a cup figurative as, uh, that, that symbolized uh, his fate, his, his destiny, uh, uh, a cup of suffering, cup of suffering as the sacrificial lamb of God. It was, it's, it's a cup, it's a way of describing the days ahead of him a situation he would have to face. And he knew that he'd have to die a brutal death by way of execution, that he was facing an impending capital punishment, although he's an innocent man, a man, in fact, without sin, yet he's about to bear the sins of the world. Remember when James and John's mama came to Jesus asking for one of her sons to sit on the left hand and one to sit on the right? Y'all remember what Jesus told her? He said he had... He, he said, such privileges were not his to give. Besides, could they drink from the cup he would drink from? 
could they endure the suffering that would come from following him? Being associated with Jesus was not about prestige and popularity. Rather, uh, the question is, were they courageous enough to handle the pressure and persecution that would come their way due to their following Christ? That's the cup. That's, that's the situation. That's, that's, that's the situation at hand that has Jesus in so, so much anguish, so much stress. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. Please keep in mind that Jesus is 100% God. He is God. He is, he is God dwelling amidst, amidst his people. Yet, he is also 100% man. He's a man. He's a man from Nazareth, a man from Galilee. He's, he's a man too. He's, he's anointed, filled with the Holy Ghost beyond measure, but he's, he's also a man. He's a man. He needs food to eat in order to stay alive. He needs water to drink in order to stay alive. He, he needs air to breathe in order to stay alive. He would need to sleep and rest. His, he has blood running in his veins and, and he can bleed. And some of us ought to be glad that Jesus could bleed. He can be physically wounded. Jesus as a man is sorrowful, grieving, heavily overwhelmed with tremendous emotional anguish. This man from Nazareth is under so much pressure. That he is sweating drops of blood as he prays to the Father. Have you ever been under tremendous weight and pressure? Okay, I guess not. It was a rhetorical question, but try this again. <clears throat> Have you ever been under tremendous weight and pressure? Have you, ever, have you ever faced having to make decisions so critical that it made you sweat drops of blood? It is possible, possible to be under so much stress that you can literally sweat blood. It's called, let me try this, hemato, hematohydrosis. Hematohydrosis. H-E-M-A-T-O-H-I-D-R-O-S-I-S. Y'all already knew that. H-E-M-A-T-O-H-I-D-R-O-S-I-S, hematohydrosis. Have you ever dealt with it? Probably not. I'm assuming none of us have ever dealt with hematohydrosis. And I know about 10 medical officials going to call, hit me up after church. Uh, it's actually pronounced pastor. Uh, but have you ever dealt with so much stress and pressure that you couldn't eat or had difficulty sleeping? Or began to hyperventilate. Or maybe even passed out. Some of us are probably dealing with stress and pressure because you've become a Messiah of some sorts. You, you're your family savior or your friend's Messiah. You're the one who gets all the phone calls to deal with the problems and help out financially. Or you have to be strong for everybody else when the family has dealt with loss. Some of it could be due to your needing to be needed. You're living with so much stress because you need to be needed and you have to rush to folks rescue and be there for this one and that one and then fuss about how nobody's ever there for you. Are you living with a Messiah complex? You don't have to solve everyone's problems. You don't have to help everyone with their bills. You don't have to be strong for everyone. You, you don't have to take everyone's calls. You don't have to listen to everyone's problems. You don't have to solve everyone's problems. You are not anyone's Messiah. Yeah. 
But there are some folks who live with a Messiah complex. A lot of pastors live that way. Listen to me. Don't let other folk, don't let other folk keep your blood pressure elevated, keep you from sleeping, rob you of your appetite, or make you sweat drops of blood. Jesus prayed with great anguish, asking the Father if there was a way for the cup of suffering to be avoided. Let me pause here and remind many of us, this is what the devil tried to tempt Jesus with in the wilderness. That the whole temptation scene uh, where, where the devil is tempting Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is basically the devil trying to get Jesus to be the type of Messiah who would avoid pain and humiliation, execution, and crucifixion. Jesus, turn, turn these stones into bread. Uh, uh, prove that you're the type of Messiah who can, who can work miracles and, and provide material needs and, and make people think that, that the only thing you can do for them is, is give them food to eat when they're hungry. Be the type of Messiah where only the only thing folk will want from you is a miracle. Be the type of Messiah where no one will under, no one will care about what you teach. Don't even teach. Don't preach. Don't, don't, don't attack the religious right. Don't attack religious leadership officials. Just, just work miracles. If you work miracles, you will be the type of Messiah everybody likes. You'll be so popular, no one will ever think about killing you. Tell you what, Jesus, Jesus responded, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This whole scene in the wilderness where he's being tempted of the devil is Jesus wrestling with the question, what type of Messiah am I going to be? Be the type of Messiah. Tell you what, jump, jump off the top of this temple. And um, the Bible says angels will keep you from dashing your foot against a stone. In other words, um, be the type of Messiah where you'll never get hurt. You'll never get wounded. No matter, no matter what type of painful situation may come your way, angels are somehow, I, I can work it to where you, you can get out of all of them. You'll never experience pain. You'll never experience anguish. No one will ever think, no one ever think about crucifying you. Then he says, then he takes Jesus to a third, a third temptation where he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them all to you if you just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all. I'll give them. I'll give them all. God, your father may have one approach for you to take. Jesus, my approach is easier and more convenient. Mine is more, is more painless. Mine, my, mine is more of the approach that, that most people like. Don't most of us like painless approaches don't most of us like like painless uh uh processes don't don't most of us want to avoid being disliked dishonored and just dissed and here he is in the garden of gethsemane wrestling in anguish and prayer to the point of sweating drops of blood asking the father if there was a way for the cup of suffering to be avoided this prayer in the garden of gethsemane was a war between Jesus' will and the will of the Father. Jesus willed to avoid the cup of suffering. The, the Father willed for Jesus to shed his blood to redeem mankind. So what do we mean by the will of the Father? God had one will. The Father had one will. Jesus has another will. What do we mean by the will of the Father? Some of our life's details, believe it or not, some of our life's details don't matter to God. I don't think it matters to God whether you wash your face before you brush your teeth or if you brush your teeth before you wash your face. You wash your face. Just make sure you wash your face and brush your teeth every day. 
Especially before you come to church. Especially before. Did any of you pray about which shoes to wear before you got dressed to come to worship this morning? Did any of you pray about which shoe to put on? Lord, in Jesus' name, I need your guidance, oh God. Which shoe do I put on? Do I put on my left shoe before I put on my right shoe? Lord, I'm already late for Sunday school. Lord, waiting to hear from you, Lord. I don't think it matters to God whether you put your left shoe on before you put your right shoe on. As long as you don't ever, ever, never, ever, ever roll up in here with one of them bonnets on your head or pajama pants on or flip-flops with socks on, I just don't think God is in that. I just, wearing your bonnet on your head all up in Walmarts, I just don't think, there's got to be a scripture in Leviticus something that just bans Many of you may have heard of God's perfect will and God's permissive will. His perfect will, the way things will work out if God had the way his permissive will, the things that he allows. But I, I, want, to, I want to share some things from the late R.C. Sproul, who gives us, he gives us some things to consider, or gave us some things to consider regarding the will of God. The first thing I want you to consider is the decorative will of God. The decorative will. Not decorative in terms of decorating. It's not D-E-C-O-R-A-T-I-V-E. It is D-E-C-R-E-T-I-V-E. Decorative will of God. Decorative. The decorative will of God describes God decreeing something, decreeing something, hence decorative will of God. He decrees something to come to pass, and it simply happens. It can't not happen. For example, in creation, when God said, let there be light, he issued a divine decree. He exercised his sovereign, efficacious will. Light couldn't pray about whether or not it would make its appearance. Or light could not pray about whether or not his job would give him time off to make its appearance. Light had no choice but to appear as God decreed or commanded or willed. The decorative will can have no other effect but to appear according to God's decree, his absolute authority. And power, the decorative will of God. Then you have the preceptive will of God. The preceptive will of God. P-R-E-C-E-P-T-I-V-E. The preceptive will of God. P-R-E-C-E-P-T-I-V-E. The preceptive will of God. This relates to the revealed commandments of God's published law. In other words, his preceptive will pertains to his commandments that are to serve as precepts intended to govern our behavior. God commanding us not to steal, for example, falls within his preceptive will. The preceptive will of God differs from his, de his decorative will. It is possible for the preceptive will of God to be disobeyed. So although we are commanded to not steal, stealing, unfortunately, yet happens. Then you have the permissive will of God. The permissive will of God. The permissive will of God suggests that God allows or permits things to happen even if it goes against his nature of holiness. For example, God does not do or approve anything evil, but he allows or permits it. He gives it permission to exist. He does not directly intervene to prevent evil from happening. It happens within his permissive will. Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy, 
your, your preferred will, your, your desire. May your, may your desire for how I handle this situation be done. May, may, may the way you wish, may, may the way you prefer for me to handle this situation, that's, that's what I want to happen. That's, that's what I want. If it's, I, I can imagine Jesus saying, basically, I've been talking about dying my entire earthly ministry. I've been talking about, I've been talking about dying. I've been talking about uh, the temple being destroyed and built back up in three days. He's, he was talking about his body uh, being destroyed and, and rebuilt in three days. He's been talking about being crucified at the hands of sinners. And here now he wrestles with the will of God. Is it time for it to happen now? And is this the way we have to do this? Is there another way? But ultimately, ultimately, I want, I want what you prefer to happen in this situation. I want what you desire, what you deem acceptable to ha happen in this situation. Jesus concluded the prayer by saying, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, this one word convey, conveys that Jesus was setting his own preferences aside to embrace what the father deemed acceptable. Jesus avoiding suffering, shame, bearing all the sins of the world and death was not his preference, but it was, it is what the father deemed acceptable. It was the father's will and Jesus through prayer emerged from the garden, courageously surrendered to the father's will for what was to come. As followers of Jesus, we must draw some nevertheless like conclusions in our lives. But let me ask this. You don't have to answer, but I wonder, and this is rhetorical. I just, I wonder how many of us have never prayed such a prayer. I wonder how many of us have never, never sought God to understand what he preferred to happen in a given situation in our lives. All of us who follow Christ must draw some nevertheless like conclusions in our lives. We must live with our will surrendered to the will of the Father. Why should we emerge from prayer choosing to fulfill the Father's will? You may be asking, why, 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 why should I even choose that? What's lost if we choose otherwise? One thing to consider is our choosing to fulfill the Father's will is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. This is what sets us apart as holy people. We, we obey the Lord. We live out his will for our lives and we seek understanding of his will for our life situations we, we we serve him according to his will you just as you cannot have an effective military without personnel who follow orders you cannot have a body of Christ who is the salt of the earth and the light of the world if we do not lovingly and courageously fulfill the Lord's will when we struggle to surrender to the Lord's will, we need to pray until we are courageously letting him have his way with our lives, period. Another thing to consider also, in, in addition to this being just something that worshipers do, another thing to consider is if fulfilling the Father's will does not matter to his people, then the earth will be filled with people fulfilling their own will or even worse, fulfilling the will of the enemy. We'd only see people living to fulfill the desires of their flesh. We'd only see the fruit of the flesh and no fruit of the spirit. We'd only see what Paul described as fruit of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. 
If the earth is filled with people fulfilling their own will, then we'd see people living as if it doesn't matter what God has commanded or promised. Everyone would do whatever they prefer with no regard for God's response to such behavior. If we, if we live like this, if the earth was full of people who only lived according to their own preference, their own desire, we'd see online predators luring our kids into sex trafficking. We see no one looking out for the poor and the elderly. We see parents wanting drugs so bad that they'd sell their children just to get high. We see if, 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 if the earth was full of, of people who only fulfilled their own desire, no desire, no regard for the will of God, we'd see, we'd see prosecutors across the country saying they don't want to see black pastors in the courtroom during a murder trial after their predecessor wasn't going to prosecute the murders, murders until a video of the murder leaked. What, what we be saying, y'all, is that the will of God doesn't matter. If, 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 if all we were going to do was fulfill our own wills, our own desire, we'd basically be saying the will of God doesn't matter. And if God's will doesn't matter, listen, listen, then justice doesn't matter. Righteousness doesn't matter. Loving your neighbor doesn't matter. Forgiveness doesn't matter. Black lives don't matter. No one's life matters. The lives of fetuses don't matter. If, if the will of God doesn't matter, clean drinking water in Flint doesn't matter. Sensing disparity, dis disparities doesn't matter. No one's constitutional rights matter. No one's civil rights matter. Civil debates of our ideas don't matter. Making America great doesn't matter. Building back better doesn't matter. Who a man or a woman marries doesn't matter. Your pronouns don't matter. If God's will doesn't matter, which restroom you use doesn't matter, feeding the hungry doesn't matter, clothing the naked doesn't matter, providing shelter for the homeless doesn't matter, visiting the sick and the imprisoned doesn't matter, your salvation doesn't matter. God's people must live our lives based on the will of God. Our behavior is to be governed by what we understand to be the will of God as recorded in his word. One thing that sets apart those of us who claim to belong to God and follow Jesus is our desire, our propensity, our inclination, our determination to surrender to and fulfill God's will for our lives. But the truth is, for folk like me, sometimes there's a struggle. I know you're shocked. Sometimes there's a struggle to surrender to the will of God. I know you, you've moved past that. You, I know your testimony is you used to struggle. But sometimes there's a struggle, a conflict, an all-out war between God's will and my will. I know some of you have not served in the military. But in terms of the, in, in, in dealing with the conflict or the war or the battle between your will and God's will, I believe I got a lot of veterans in the room in that battle. I, I believe I got a lot of veterans who, who, who have served in that conflict where you're fighting between your will and the will of the Father. Are y'all praying with me today? In this sense, all of us who love him and want to please him are combat, veteran, combat veterans because our flesh constantly battles the will of God. The will of God is for you to love your enemies and your flesh be like, no, no, I don't know about all that. The will of God is for you to tithe or give as he has blessed you and you're talking about how your, how your account is set up. God spoke to your spirit and gave you some direction or a vision and you're still looking for confirmation. God told you to be quiet and you're still running your mouth told you to speak up you're being quiet God told you to leave it alone but you're still all up in it God told you to step in and you're leaving you're leaving it alone God told you to keep going and you stopped God told you to stop you're still going 
God told you he, he's not the one, but you're still trying to date him. God told you she ain't no good, but you can't leave her alone. Come on, talk to me, somebody. Prayer provides a space for worshipers to wrestle with the will of God and emerge from prayer determined to be faithfully, to, to faithfully fulfill his will. So how? How, how? how does that happen? How does prayer help us choose to fulfill the Father's will? Jesus spoke as if prayer can help you avoid falling into temptation. Look at Matthew 26, 41. Matthew 26, 41. Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray. Look at this in verse 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What temptation were these disciples facing? Peter, James, and John are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, James, Peter, James, and John are there with the master. He invited them to pray with him. Yet they had fallen asleep. Jesus acknowledged the reality of temptations. He told them the spirit is willing, but the flesh, but the flesh is weak. There, there's a battle raging within his followers. A part of us, the spirit, our intentions are to do what pleases the father. But then there's another part, the flesh, what actually happens with our bodies. It's weak and succumbs to the temptation to opt out of obedience. Watching and praying can help us surrender to the will of the Father. Watch. He's saying, be, be watchful temptation. Be watchful for temptation. Be on the lookout for temptation. Didn't Peter tell us something similar to that? Be sober and be vigilant. Be on the lookout for temptation. Be on the lookout for the traps of the enemy. Be discerning. L live with your eyes wide open. Look, look out for temptation and pray. Make the, make, make, make the best of the situation by being alert. When the devil tries to trap you, you can tell somebody, I saw it coming. I saw it coming. But sometimes we do get blindsided, but praise God for the times when you can see it coming. Are y'all with me today? If we want to make the worst of a bad situation, not watching and praying and yielding to temptation, temptation to fight back, temptation to, to give in to your flesh, temptation to, to violate the will of God, temptation to do something when it's not time. Jesus is wrestling with the timing. Is it time? And is this the way we got to do it? When I'm watchful and praying, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to the timing of what God wants me to do and the approach God wants me to take in doing what he's called me to do. But I love another thing Luke points out in this same story. Luke told us that Jesus was sweating drops of blood, but there's something else Luke tells us that Matthew doesn't point out. In Luke's account, an angel came and strengthened Jesus as he prayed in the garden. Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 43. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Doesn't tell us how the angel strengthened him. It just says the angel showed up and strengthen him. Angels are ministering spirits. They're messengers from heaven. Did this angel strengthen Jesus with a message from heaven? The text doesn't say. But the angel somehow strengthened Jesus for what was before him. Didn't Elijah have a similar situation? Remember when Elijah, that big, bold, manly man, prophet, was running from that woman named Jezebel? Remember, remember, remember Elijah, that big, bad prophet, anointed of God, so anointed, he could make it stop raining on this command. He could make it resume raining on this command. So big and bad, he could raise little boys from the dead. So big and bad, he could call down fire from heaven on a wet sacrifice. But the moment, the moment this sister threatened him, Elijah was running for his land. Some sisters are like that. You listen, they mean business when they tell you they're going to get you. 
Best thing you can do is run. Elijah ran, finds his way up under a juniper tree and prayed, God, I've had enough. Take my life. Falls asleep, wakes up. An angel wakes him up and tells him, you need to get up and eat. What you're about to face is too great for you. You need to eat. The angel showed up and ministered to Elijah. Elijah, long story short, Elijah gets up. He goes on. Did this angel strengthen Jesus with a message from heaven? How, how did this angel strengthen Jesus? Did, did he, if, if he had a message, what would it have been? Would the angel have told Jesus or would he have asked Jesus, how long are you going to continue praying about this? I wonder if that's a question the angel of this church needs to ask you today. How much longer are you going to keep praying about it? Some of, some of us are hung up in a garden of indecision, masquerading it with, I'm waiting on confirmation. How much longer are you going to pray about this? You know what God told you. You know what God has ordained for you. At some point, when you know what God would have you to do and when he would have you to do it, you simply have to go on and do it. Or would the angel have delivered a message like this? We don't know how the angel strengthened him. It just says the angel strengthened him. But did, the angels are ministering spirits. They deliver messages. Would, the, would this angel have delivered a message to Jesus that says something like this? The Father has heard you, but there's no way around it. There's no way around it. That's not what a lot of us want to hear. We want our faith to move mountains and cause walls to fall. We want him to move by his power and release miracles, make a way out of no way. But sometimes God has a word for you and the word is there's no way around it. That may strengthen somebody today. There's no way around it. You can want to avoid it. It's unavoidable. It's inevitable. There's no way around it. You're going to have to go through it and the time is now. After all, we got to keep in mind that Jesus' suffering had been prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 53, 10, uh, in verses that follow. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, talking about the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Savior, and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of this experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. There was no way around it. Sometimes that's the painful reality we must accept. There are times our faith will move mountains, release miracles, impact outcomes. However, there are times when we, face, we have to face our unpleasant realities that are as certain as death and taxes. I have a new perspective and a new appreciation on the verse that says, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much. I, I, up until this week, I always thought of that verse teaching us that prayer can work in terms of making things happen. Now I, I have a new perspective on it where the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much in the person who prays. It can avail much in your heart. It can avail much in terms of you emerging from 
prayer more courageous than when you went in. The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much. Maybe not so much in your circumstance, but your courage to face unavoidable circumstances. The courage to face circumstances that you can't get out of. The courage to face circumstances that you'd rather not face. And if it was up to you, you wouldn't be going through it. The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much. It can, it can avail courage. And that's what some of us need to, some, that's why some of us need to get in our prayer, closet, prayer closets and pray for courage. God, I realize this thing ain't going away. I need the courage to face it. I realize this thing isn't going to move like I want it to. I realize I may not get what I want or I could, I could just bow out. I could just leave. I could, I could just file for divorce. I could just quit the job. I could just submit the resignation. I could, I could just file the lawsuit. I could just take matters into my own hands and handle it like a man. But God, what would you have me to do? The best outcome for Jesus' bad situation was to emerge in agreement with the Father. The best outcome for Jesus was to emerge from prayer, walking in obedience to the will of God. That's the best outcome for you and I as well. If we want to make the best of our bad situations, surrender your will to the will of the Father and obey him. His will for your life and our situations that we face. Listen, the, the best situation, the best outcome is for us to be obedient. So Jesus said, nevertheless. Nevertheless, my will is surrendered in exchange for the will of the Father. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, I'm going to go on and do what you've called me to do. Nevertheless, I discern the time is now. I got to go on and move. And that may be what somebody here today needs to say. Three things about prayer real quick and I'm done. How, so how does prayer, how does prayer help us? Number one, prayer can help us surrender if we worship in prayer. I'm not going to be here long. I'm not going to be on these long. Prayer can help us surrender if we worship in prayer. Jesus brought worship to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm not saying that Jesus got in the garden and started doing praise and worship, started singing songs. I ain't saying that. Worship is when I give God what he wants, the way he wants it, all the time. Is, is when God gets what he wants out of me, even if I really don't want to give it to him. Is, is when God can, can see me through a situation, even when I don't want to go through the situation. That's, that's worship. Worship, Jesus brought worship into the situation. He brought worship into the garden. God, whatever, however you want this thing to play out, however you prefer for this to play out, that's, what's gonna, that's how we're going to do it. That's worship. Prayer can help us surrender if we worship in prayer. Here's the second thing, y'all. Number two, prayer can help us surrender if we use prayer as a weapon. Prayer can help us surrender if we use prayer as a weapon. All of us who served in the military, we know about weapons, hand grenades. Well, I don't know if all of us know. I don't know if all of my, my, my I love my Air Force brethren. I love my, I love y'all. I do, but I don't know if all of y'all ever handled a hand grenade. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know if y'all ever. You know, I don't know if, I don't know if all y'all ever had a knife in your hand, when, a bayonet, when, you, when, your, when your rifle ran out of ammo and you just had to take the knife off. I don't even know if y'all ever had knives on the bayonets on the tips of y'all rifles. I mean, but we know about weapons. We know about weapons. Prayer is a weapon. Not just to attack the enemy, not just to attack sickness and disease and poverty. We Listen, prayer must be a weapon to attack your own will. Sometimes we got to come into prayer in combat mode, ready to fight against ourselves. 
God, I'm about to mess this thing up because I'm angry. I'm about to mess this thing up because I'm stressed out. I ain't sweating drops of blood, but, but I'm, I'm stressed out. I, 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 I ain't thinking the way a saved folk ought to think. That text I just sent, that wasn't, that wasn't, from, that wasn't from the saved part of me. That, that email that I just sent, that's not, that's not from the saved part of me. I'm just, okay, so it's two of us in here. That, it's two of us in here that need, need to pray as a weapon against ourselves. God, keep me from giving in to my flesh. Keep me from giving in to my temper. Keep me from giving in to my stress. God, keep me. Just because I want what I want don't mean it's good for me. Some of us, some of us can testify that you got what you wanted and you look back and you regret. Should have stayed with that third wife. Should have stayed with her. Should have stayed with that fourth husband. You should have stayed with him. Should have kept that little job that you had people praying for you to get an interview. Then when you got the interview, you hired them to pray for you at the day and time you were getting the interview. Then you got the job and you had to send another text and email. Oh, praise God, I got, I got the job, I got the job. Won't he do it? Won't, won't he do it? Six months later, you complain about folk getting on your nerves. You got to quit this job too? Sometimes, how many of us can look back and admit that we got what we wanted, but it wasn't what we needed. Got what we wanted, but it wasn't what we needed. I know I'm not the only one who can look back and admit I got what I wanted, but it wasn't what I needed. Prayer has to be a weapon. I'm fighting. I'm fighting against my propensity to make bad situations worse. I'm fighting against my propensity to give in to my will and rather than God's will. And finally, y'all, prayer Prayer can help us surrender, not only if we use, if we come into prayer with worship, not only if we only, not, not only if we use prayer as a weapon, but also prayer can help us if we sur help us surrender if we're determined to win. If we're determined to win. You got to be determined to win. And you win if you come out in the will of God. You come out, if you, you come out winning if you're in the will of God. You come out winning if you don't give in to weakness, you come out winning if you, if you give in to what you know God would have you to do, even if it doesn't line up with logic. Forgive them after what they've done to me? That don't even make no sense. Some of us have told our saved friends, girl, you going to forgive him? Dude, are you serious? You going to forgive them on your job? You going to just let that go? Mm -mm, couldn't be me. We, we got to be determined to win. If God gets us to emerge from prayer with the resolve to walk in obedience, we win. We win. When Jesus came out of prayer, he didn't look like a winner. He comes out of prayer and here comes Judas. Judas and his mob. Judas and his mob, they, they roll up on Jesus. Judas had told them, you'll know the one that's, that's Jesus. He won't stand out. But I'll kiss him. You'll know, I'm, I, when, when we get to him, I'll kiss him. And Judas and his mob, and his mob, his mob were high priests, preachers, scribes, maybe a couple of Pharisees, folk who knew the scriptures, folk who were out to get Jesus, folk who were looking for Jesus, folk, folk who wanted to get him. The whole time Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows they out to get me. They trying to kill me. And here comes Judas. Kisses Jesus. Peter, 
I don't, I don't know if, Black, I don't know if you're a descendant of Peter. Peter whips out. This one dude, Peter just whipped out his knife and just cut my man's ear off. I don't know if you're a descendant of Peter. If you ever cut somebody's ear off, all I'm saying is, I hope they have health insurance. I'm just saying I hope they have some, hope they have some health insurance. I mean, Jesus didn't look like a winner. He's about to go to court. He's about to go to prison. He's about to... Well, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna go to court overnight and be tried and convicted. Doesn't look like a winner. But he chose to obey. He's a winner. He's a winner because he chose obedience. I, I, can't, I can't go too much further into the details of the story. I might, might mess up my little uniform. I, can't, I, I better stop right there. But I can't get past. I still can't. He emerged as a winner, and I'm, I can't get past what this angel may have told him, what this angel may have done to strengthen him. I wonder if the angel may have strengthened Jesus by telling him, I know, I know what, you, what you're about to face ain't easy. I know it's painful. I know, I know you know that you're about to be humiliated and shamed. I know you, you know you're about to have an excruciating, an excruciating death. Somehow that angel strengthened him. I don't know what he told him. I wonder if the angel told Jesus, be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, God will take care of you. With the nails in your hands, be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, whoever rises up against you, who, whoever comes to attack you, whoever, whoever seeks to hurt you, be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, God will take care of you. I need to tell somebody that today who's wrestling with a tough decision. Someone who's stressed out and anguished, losing hair. I read an article this morning of how many people are losing hair in this pandemic. Stress. Be not dismayed. Whatever be tied. God will take care of you. I better quit right there. I think I'm going to stop right there. Because if I get this going on, I'm going to have to tell you all about how they, they took him up Calvary's hill. Strung him high and stretched him wide. I'm going to have to stop. Okay? Didn't look like a winner. But he chose obedience. And if Jesus didn't choose to bleed for you and for me, you and I would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. He died that Friday night. I better stop right here. I'm getting. If Jesus did not die, you and I could not have been delivered. Somebody needs to understand that someone else's deliverance is hinging on your obedience. That's why you need to struggle. Let God have his way. Choose to obey. Sometimes you need to conclude, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I better stop right there. But you can't talk about Jesus dying on a Friday night unless you also talk about how early Sunday morning Sunday morning 
He looked like he lost that Friday night, but early Sunday morning. He looked like he lost when he laid in that borrowed grave all day Saturday, but early Sunday morning. He got up with all power in his hands. I'm finished. I better stop. I'm done. But how can I talk about him getting up and not tell you one day he's coming back? <laughs> one day he'll crack the sky. One day. Hallelujah. He's coming back. Glory to God. One day. All because of that, nevertheless. 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 I'm so glad. He chose obedience. I'm glad he struggled. Because now he's my great high priest. Who can relate to my struggles. One day he told me, come boldly. Before the throne of grace. I understand your struggles. Other pastors may not understand your struggles. I'll understand your struggles. The folk you shepherd at Union Grove may not understand your struggles. I understand your struggles. I can come before him. And obtain mercy. And find grace to help me. And sometimes, y'all, I need the help. Sometimes I need the help. Help me understand your will. Help me understand your timing. Help me. There have been so many times my timing was off. So many times I, I, I missed you, but God, help me understand. I got a made-up mind. Nevertheless, walk in obedience. Bless his name. For when he comes back, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to stand before him and hear him say, well done. Well done. Not thy United States Marine. Well done. Not thy soldier in the army. Not thy uh, sailor. Not, not thy airman. I want to hear him. I think all of us want to hear him say, well done, thy good. Faithful servant. You obeyed me when you knew it was going to cost you. You obeyed me when you knew they wouldn't understand. You obeyed me when you knew it would cost everything, but yet you obeyed me. Well done. I want to pray for you today. Somebody here is struggling. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.